Philippians chapter 1. Now, if you've missed the first two parts, this is part three of this. Um, we are going somewhere different again, so don't worry. You can catch it online if you'd like to see it or, or listen to it. It's on audio and on video. But five biblical points for gospel life and living. In part one, we looked at, first of all, Philippians 1 and verse 5. We can't read it all, so read the chapter when you go home. Paul is thanking the Philippians for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That was part one. And that showed us, even talking about fellowship, what fellowship was. And we went more into fellowship and communion. How we must recognize the coming round communion. It's not that the Lord wants you to stay away from the table believer. He wants you at the table believer. And he wants you to partake because he has paid your debt. So then we also looked at, uh, we've looked at much in that, and we looked at fellowship with light and darkness, how they cannot fellowship together. They cannot fellowship together, and they just don't agree one with another. That was in part one. Uh, last week then we went further on, and let me just get it. It is the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 12, Paul says, But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And last week we looked at the furtherance of the gospel was because Paul was writing to the Philippians because and others in the church, or the church areas, uh, the other churches, because what he was saying was people were thinking the gospel will be hindered because he was in prison arrest. He was in a prison house. And he says, no, we look at it how God is going to further the gospel even though I'm in this situation. And it's not that it happened by chance. I can't go into it all because I broke it down last week, but how God is sovereign. And God had Paul there for a reason. And the furtherance of the gospel was this, that he was able to speak to the higher echelons of society and of uh, those who were in power. Plus also the guards heard it and others came to visit him heard it. His name, uh, if people speak well of you, that's good. But when people speak bad of you, they still want to know, well, what on earth is happening? Just talking to someone yesterday, some people, uh, I, I told you before, I call myself the Marmite preacher. You either love me or hate me. And those who love me, that's good. And those who hate me, that's up to you. And, and at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's the case of those who don't even, who hate me even, or don't even like me might say, that guy down there in CET, XYZ, well, you know what? You keep talking because the Lord keeps blessing. And we're just leaving it up with God. And that's what you do. And we looked at how also the word, remember, according, things done according to God. He was in the prison according to God's will. God was sovereign over where Paul was. And because of that, we looked at the word, remember, kata, K-A-T-A, which means dominance, pressing down. The dominating or the dominance of God's graces in our life. The dominance or the pressing down of God's power, the dominance of God's uh, goodwill and good pleasure. And we looked at that, uh, that last week. Now, remember that word because we may get to it uh, a little later as we go on in this message. Let's then go to the third one. So it's fellowship in the gospel, furtherance of the gospel. And in the same chapter, we have the defense of the gospel. Just let your eye run down to verse 16. Paul writes... The one preached Christ of contention not sincerely, 
supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul has two people. He is a Marmite preacher. He's a Marmite prisoner. He says, there are those who hate me and there are those who love me. He says, but nevertheless, God is using it all for his glory. I am still set, no matter whether they love me or hate me or for me or against me, I'll still press on for I am set for the defense of the gospel. Now we need to look at this this morning because it's very important, even whether it doesn't, you don't have to be behind the pulpit and you don't have to be preaching God's word, as it were, online and so forth. You can be an ordinary Christian, as it were, we're all ordinary Christians, but in the sense where you're going to your workplace in secular work, and even just because you're a Christian, you can be hated. And you can be loved, on the other hand. Sometimes you usually find those who don't want to know the Lord and who hate you because of Christ in you, usually find that when their life goes upside down, you're the one they come to. You're the one they come to. So really, they're not hating you. They're hating the Christ in you. They're hating the Lord in you. Jesus said that. He says, look, don't be worried about these things. I've overcome them. You overcome them. So notice here, Paul says, no matter who loves me or hates me, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Brother, sister, do not let anyone stop you from serving Christ. Do not let anyone stop you from going on in God. Do not let anyone hinder you from going on and speaking, preaching, teaching, wherever you are, in ministry, children, Sunday school, youth ministry, or lighthouse, and, and those online, wherever they're ministering, ministry, missionary work, or wherever it may be. Don't let anyone hinder you because of something they don't like or something that they are against. Or don't let them stop you. Don't let disappointments and disillusion and discouragements hold you back from continuing on in Christ and in his service and gospel because you're going to get it the whole walk of your life in Christ. So what do you do? Simple. Stay set for the defense of the gospel. Notice this. The word defense. Defense is the word apologia. Apologia. And it's where we get our word apologize. It's where we get our word to apologize. In other words, if, if you were to go into theological circles, what they have is uh, what's known as apologetics. Now, when we talk about apologetics in theology or in Christian circles, we're not apologizing to anyone for saying that Christ is the only way to the Father. But in apologetics, we're showing through Scripture how he is the only way. Does that make sense to you? We're not apologizing that we believe that there is no salvation outside of Christ. We're not apologizing for that to anyone. We're not apologizing for those who say there are many roads to heaven, and we say, no, there is only salvation found in Christ and Christ alone. We won't apologize for that, yet we will bring and show apologetics. It's not that we're apologizing to try and say, I'm sorry for that, because that's where the church is getting mixed up. The church is mixed up apologizing for everything. Listen, you know, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm not apologizing for the gifts and the, the Spirit. I'm not apologizing for what God is doing in the church. 
I'm not apologetic, but I, through apologetics of the scriptures, I can show how it's for you. So the difference here is when we say we, it's apologetics, we are showing, we are proving, we are lining up the defense for the gospel in our life, the defense of the spirit in our church. We're lining up that which comes from the scriptures and saying, look, cleansing is only through the blood of the Lamb. Cleansing isn't by going to a Protestant denomination and saying, I've clapped my card. Cleansing isn't by going to a Roman Catholic mass or church and saying, well, there you are, I'm consecrated into the Catholic church. Cleansing from our sin isn't by coming to CET, no matter how many times you come. Cleansing is only through the precious blood of Jesus, his finished work on the cross, and saying, that's enough for me, Jesus paid it all. Now, we don't apologize for that. But when we go into the Scripture, we show the apologetics of the Scripture to show why it is thus, why it is true. Does that make sense then? So when we say apologetics, it means we are defending, defending our faith, defending what the Word is telling us, defending what Christ is doing. So if we are set for the defense or the apologia of the gospel, Egelion, or the good news, glad tidings. Does that not tell us that we also must look and say, well, this good news, glad tidings, what is it? Well, it's what we talked about. It's the sacrifice of Christ. The defense of the good news, this is what I, I, I had written, and I want to read it to you. I'd read different scholars on this and see what they thought, and Greek scholars, and listen, this is what one of them had written. Defense speaks of a verbal defense at a court of law. So when you're in a court of law and you're up before the judge, I don't know how many of you have been in court before. I'll not ask you to put your hand up. <laughs> I have. <laughs> and, and it's a bit weird because, you know, you're facing one way and they're speaking from an and you keep turning around. You know, anyway, that's another thing. Well, it used to be like that years ago. I don't know why they're still there. And you had to have your, your, as it were, your ducks lined in a row. You had to have the defense with your solicitor. This is the same idea. So when someone says to you, what does it say about the blood of Christ? What does it say, Christian, about your righteousness in Christ? What does it say in the scriptures about what Christ is doing through the pouring out of his spirit? Many Christians don't know. Do you know why? Because they don't study and because their pastors aren't teaching them. My brothers and sisters, you know me in here. We're only coming up to a year here. And we are going to be doing the, we're doing this front up and I know it's taking longer than usual, but listen. I want to get into nitty gritty of different things. You'll know even more. And what you hear from here, I try to teach you what I can, but there's a different level of understanding, a different level where people are in their walk, and sometimes things make over one's head and other ones might think it's too, it's not enough. It's not deep enough. So it's difficult. It's difficult. But what I want to do, and I trust that I've been doing it as we've been here for a year, I've been breaking down things like this and showing you the righteousness of Christ. Showing you what it means 
justification by faith alone. Breaking these things down, even in the prophetic circles, and what even others would say, but what, for me, the apologetics of the Scriptures say. So you need to take it home and study. So many people said to me last Sunday night, I learned so much. There was so much in it. Well, look, see if you come tonight, there's even so much more. There's even so much more. And really what I want you to do is, I want those who, who are in CT, you know, when you leave here, that you are equipped. Equipped. If someone comes to you and says, well, how do you know you're safe now? You need to have the apologetics, not to apologize for being saved, but the apologetics from the Scriptures to say, this is what the Word of God says. And so, the defense of the gospel can be to learn the Scriptures. But the defense of the gospel can also be more. Listen, this is what one of them wrote. The Judaizers were those who were, who were Jewish and they'd get saved, and they're wanting the, those who were uh, non-Jewish or Gentile or heathen uh, or whatever way they were when they came to the Lord, they, they wanted them to get circumcised and stuff at the start. You read about that in, in uh, the book of Acts. And there's a whole row about this. But this is what one of the, the, the scholars wrote. Judaizers wanted the Philippians to turn to Christ through their ways, which had, been, had a mixed motive. Judaism conquering the heathen Gentile rather than it being by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Now, if you really want to get saved, you have to be circumcised. And so Paul writes about the circumcision of the heart, not the flesh. Listen, whatever color your flesh is, it doesn't matter who it be. It's the spirit, it's the heart, it's the soul of the man and the woman. Now notice this. The, these uh, Judaizers, as they're called, or Jew, Jews who had been saved, are holding on to the traditions of, of the Jews. They wanted them to come in and say, you need to do X, Y, and Z. It wasn't because they wanted them to be extra helpful to them. It's because they wanted one-upmanship on them. You see, we were right. Now, it's not about winning an argument, brothers and sisters. Apologetics is not about winning an argument and making someone feel low and attacking someone, making someone feel lesser. It's about the soul of the man and woman. So when we look at these things, we have to understand there are people just saved. What do they know when you're just saved? I don't know. I'm sure nearly all of us could vouch for this, that as soon as you got saved and you started to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So you go by confessing with your mouth. And what happens? So many people start asking you questions in the Bible. Don't they? You, uh, I don't know. They think you know it all. Listen, none of us ever know it all. None of us. You know that fact? I, I wasn't long saved and I heard a real scholarly man one time, old, old man, 
And this is what he said. And I didn't understand it, but now that I'm getting a bit older and I've been studying and studying and studying, I agree with him. See, the more I study, he said, and I agree with it, the less I find I know. And there's some men where I'm concerned have forgotten more in their life than I have learned. <laughs> and we're always going to be at different levels. So here's something that you can do for the defense of the gospel, brother, sister. This is your Christian life and living. Every one of us can do this. You may say, I don't have it all. I can't retain it all. There's people who aren't great readers. I'll be honest. I don't sit and read novels. I was writing all day Friday from morning right through to half eleven at night for Sunday night. So I hope you come out and listen to it. <laughs> Twelve hours at my desk. And Ellie and Chloe, I think it was, came in. Or was it Jody and Amy? I can't remember. I was, my head was all over the place. And I was trying to write, and it's not that I could preach it, but it's getting it on the paper that people will get at different levels to understand it. That's the hardest bit. And when you're feeding those who are further on or maybe deeper scholars and, and you're not getting over other people's heads, that's the hardest bit. So I'm sitting up in a study and they'd come in and Alison was here with the youth and the youth were going on here with Ian and the rest of the leaders and I had a nice quiet just evening I was sitting with my study door closed. Was it you two come in? It was you, Ali and Chloe. And they looked at my... I don't think Chloe had been in my study before, had you? No. And she looked at all my study. I have a whole wall from bottom to top filled with books. Just the whole way along. And, and there's just rows and rows of them. And all the writings all down that have done piles of writings. And I spun around in the chair and, and Chloe comes in and says, Wow! Look at all your books. Look at all those. And, and, and Ali turns around and says, Have you read all them? And I had to be honest and say, no, I haven't. <laughs> because most of them are reference books. I don't read novels and I don't read newspapers. and I, don't. I read the Word and I just read things to do on scholarly things of the Word. That's all I ever read. I don't read anything else. And I says, no, that's for reference. And the thing is, you see, people are not readers. Here's the thing, brother, sister. See if you're not a reader. See if you have a car. Get a teaching on the CD. Not not talking about me. I'm talking about good teaching now. Good teaching. You can get it online and you can do all these footery things where it's on your phone and it comes out in the car speakers. Don't ask me how it's done. But that's I've got a GPS in my car. It's nice. I've even a TV in my car, and I've never. I don't even watch it. Well, I don't watch it really anyway. I've never watched it. It's all built in. And I couldn't tell you how to turn on my GPS. In fact, my clock is still an hour back from I haven't put it forward yet. <laughs> and at least it goes back again whenever I just wait for six months to get it right. That's just what I, I have. In fact, the last time I got it right was two years ago. Oh, no, a year ago. Before that, and it was Daniel Ramsey. He says, your, your clock's wrong. I said, I don't know how to put it back again. And he says, here... And then when it went another hour, it's out of time again. There are people who can't listen. See for your life and your living. You can get teachings. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about this watery, stupid, airy, furry, 
go buy your, your mansion and trust God for all that sort of stuff and God's going to fill your pockets full of all. I mean, all these things you see online, today God's going to uh, bless you with multiple millions. No, <laughs> I wish he would. <laughs> I don't really because it would just ruin you. But listen, put it in, get teaching, get someone teaching, solid teaching. The righteousness of Christ, the sovereignty of God. Start listening to it over and over and over and over again. Cut out all the outwardly music. See all that outwardly music? Throw it out, brother. Throw it out, sister. Don't listen to it. Throw all that outwardly music out, young people. If you want to, I don't listen to music either, really, to be honest. The only music, very rare occasion I would listen to something. The only music I would listen to is if I turned the radio on and I was waiting for the news coming on, something was on, I'd even turn it down until it's over. And then sometimes I forget to turn it up and the news is over. <laughs> Throw it out. Don't listen to it. Put worship on. Get good gospel music in. Surround yourself in your life with the things of Christ and all to do with his glorification. The defense of the gospel, the apology is from the scripture. Learn it by either listening or by reading. And it's not about getting one-upmanship on someone who knows less than you, brother. There's nothing as ugly, and I mean the word ugly, as someone who knows more of the word hammering someone who doesn't. There's nothing as brutal and ugly as it. You should have grace in your heart to love that person. And say, look, we'll show you this. Gary said at the back, when Gary was only saved, I was pastoring up in, down in Dublin, but I was driving up and down. We couldn't afford the house. The Celtic tiger was there. Not the tiger itself, what I mean is the, 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 the boom, the whole uh, economy was booming at the time. And Gary, Gary used, to, he used to do my head in. <laughs> the whole way down to Dublin and then the whole way up again. And he used to say to me, I want to, I haven't get down, I want to get down to oh, the time it is. So, but he used to say to me, what about this? Something you're saying about this doctrine. And I say, well, and I wouldn't give them what I fully believe myself. I say, well, some say this, and some say that. And then there's another says another thing. And he went home and studied it. And then the next week he was coming down here. Well, I was reading that there. I was studying it, and I had to explain even more the whole way down up again. He found out himself. I could have said, well, this is what it is. And don't you listen to all those and this, that, and the other. You're hammering people. Be gracious and love them. And say, you know, well, maybe some say this, some say that. And let them work it through with the Scriptures. Speak to them gently. The defense of the gospel, let me show you some Scriptures. Just We're going to have to just do this one point. We'll do one more week. I'm going to get the big lad to preach for me soon as well, again. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 22, these are just little snippets. Acts chapter 22. Let 
This message is a bit later this morning. It's, it's good for me to be a bit later because my brain was taxed by the weekend. And Yes. <laughs> That's the first holiday you've got this morning. You may not have heard it. I interpreted it as that. Okay. It's a bit lighter because tonight's going to be heavier and more in-depth. But notice the first one of Acts 22. Paul says this, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he, and he saith, I am verily a man, which I am a Jew, born of Tarsus, the city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and have taught according to the perfect manner of the law and of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as you all are this day. Here's something to learn from this. Here's his defense. You ready? Now, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. The scriptures Paul speaks about in the New Testament are not the New Testament. They are the Old Testament, by the way, because the New Testament doesn't exist at that time. He's writing it. So when he's testifying, he's testifying of his religion. He was a Jew. Later he testifies of his tribe. He was from Benjamin and so on, and so on. What he's doing here, he's setting a defense council up first. And he's not coming with arm full lengths of Scripture to tell him. He can't do. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He can't do. But what he's doing is he is saying, look, let me tell you, you read the rest of the chapter when you go home, how I got saved. Now, we prayed with Stephen this morning, and he's going to be baptized this evening. And none of you are going to say, that fellow Stephen, imagine him getting saved. I don't really know you, Stephen, so I apologize, like you know, but I'm just guessing. <coughs> imagine Ken Davidson getting saved. Imagine me getting saved. That's what they said when I got saved. Imagine you getting saved. Listen, you're standing in front of them saying, look, well, tell me this and tell me that and tell me the other thing. How did, what does the Bible say about this? Say, look, you know what? I don't know at all. Let me tell you how Christ saved me. Let me just tell you what happened. Somebody was talking to yesterday. He was talking along these lines. I knew what they said. All I can do is tell them what I'm witnessing of what Christ has done. You know what? There's nothing better to tell them. Nothing better to tell them. Especially when you have a testimony. And look at him or look at her. You know what they say? There must be something in this. When we were living in North Belfast where I grew up. We were living in, well in my apartment, as I call it, on the shore road in Mount Vernon, okay? <laughs> Nine floors up. Allison left a nice company house, bit of land around it, nice and quiet. Came to a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> she was either blind in love or had no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I think it was a both. And... We've mentioned this before, especially at the time of the book and stuff like that. I used to witness to every single flat from there's a floor above me 
There was 10 floors right the way to the bottom, bottom, and then go to the next block. Week in, week out, and I'd done all the flats. And it ended up, there's these boys, there's one that was pretty well known around the area, and he was a paramilitary, loyalist paramilitary. And he lived beside us. He made a profession, and he was going on great, absolutely great. And I had them in, I had prostitutes in our apartment. I mean, witnessing to them. I, and I have to watch myself here. What I mean is, I'm, I said that in a thought there. Hold on, I better clarify here. I mean, telling them of the love of Christ. And not all my own, by the way. It was different people brought them all in together. And different people from different backgrounds, paramilitaries mostly, and they were prostitutes and so on. I used to tell them what the Lord would do for them and could do. And some of them were coming to saving faith and they were going on well in God. And this one fella stood one day and he says, do you want to see my, uh, um, do you want to see all my convictions? I've got them, I print out of them. And he's taller than me and he holds his hand up there and he drops this bit of paper and it hits the ground and it still hadn't rolled out. Now everybody was looking at him. I'll call him John because that's his name. Well, I'll not tell you who else is. And they're all saying, that fella John gets saved. And there he is. In fact, there's an old DVD of him standing beside me with a suit, a shirt and a tie on in the 90s, standing praising God. And here's what happened. He thought, I'm going to go and witness in the pub I used to drink in. No, big mistake. So he sat down with a cook, talked about this wonderful Christ. And the next week he went down and he sat down and he ended up with a shandy. Started going downhill. And third time he went, he had a pint. I didn't know he was doing this. And he says, he was talking about Jesus to them and one of, two of the three of these boys around him says, Hold on a minute. We're just talking this week, Mercy, and see if this Jesus that you're speaking about is so wonderful as you say he is. What are you doing here with us? He says, I'm talking about him. He says, well, you're partaking of us. You're here. And they brought him back into the organization we got him out of. Wouldn't let him go. Fella tried to hang himself. The witness that was there was a defense of the gospel of what Christ can do in a man's life to take him away from violence. And because he did that, three occasions was enough to bring him that he was away again and the witness was broken. <coughs> Thankfully, he's still alive. But he's not going to oh my God. You see, the defense of the gospel is your witness and your testimony. Paul is giving that. And turn with me, um, if you will. And time has gone. We're usually wrapping up, wrapped up now, but spur with me for five minutes and we'll, we'll get wrapped up. And turn with me to 2 Timothy, please, chapter 4. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. 
And let your eye run down, please. Um, the verse 16. Paul, in his prison house, writes again, and he says, At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be led to their charge. See the word answer, underline it there. At my first answer. It's the word apologia for defense. It's the same word for apologia, as defense. Paul is saying, I give these men the defense of why they should go on even though things look like they're against them and against me. Brother, sister, as your pastor here, I can try and encourage you. I can try and pray with you. I can try and teach you. I can try and help you go on. But at the end of the day, I can give you all the apologia. You must trust Christ and go on and prove him yourself. Paul says, everyone left me. You know why? Things got too tight. Things got too heated. Your life is going to get times of tightness and heated. You can have times of problems in your home. You have times of, of heated in your, in your business when uh, your work colleagues or those who are under you are really putting you away in the head. Give it to Christ. Give it to God. Here's the apologia. Notice the answer of it. Lord, you have saved me. Here's my defense. I'm staying as I am, trusting in you no matter what happens no matter who's against me. For since, not if, but since God be for me, who then can be against me? Amen. Now notice the answer God gives him in verse 17. He says, Notwithstanding no, all who have left me, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. Lord, all my friends have left me. Well then, you know what? Sometimes the blessed subtraction of the Lord, if he takes people out of your life, don't you run after them to get them back? Hello? Sometimes God removes people that you'll move forward in your life. Sometimes God takes people out of the way that the work will grow on. Sometimes God removes others even to other works and you can't go. You must move on and God where you are. Notwithstanding, no matter who leaves you, God is with you. The Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. Notice, and strengthened me that by, the, by me the preaching might be fully known that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The devil has no hold on your brother. The devil has no hold on your sister. And even though it seems the devil's at work and the Lord has removed people, listen, it's not the devil sometimes. You look too much for the devil. You need to keep your eyes on the Lord. So, let me just give you a couple more scriptures, and I promise you that's us finished. This is a testimony of your defense. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 
And this is the last. We'll do this one and finish. First Peter chapter 3. And that's where I run down. Verse 15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Do you know what that means? Have that heart given fully over to God. Give your heart fully to Christ. You know what the problem is? Many of us only allow Jesus a certain area, a certain part of our heart. Give him it all. Fully surrendered. Totally yielded. Give him it all in our lives. Listen, don't you leave here this morning and go to your house and then think, well, that's another morning over. God wants you to apply this to yourselves. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Paul's saying the word answer again there, give an answer, is the word apologia for defense. It doesn't mean be defensive. Well, you know, I'm a Christian, that's just the way it is. Anyway, some Christians are walking around with their shoulders out. You think the two TVs under their arms, you know, come on. <laughs> huh? I'm a child of God, you not know that? <laughs> Believe me, or I, I, you know, spiritually knock you out. <laughs> Total, that's a, some Belfast ones anyway, I don't know about you. No, meekness. Listen, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. You're not a doormat. Christian isn't spelt M-U-G. But some people believe that. I'm not a pacifist. But I'm peaceful. Paul says, as much at life in you, some of us has more in us to live peaceably with all men than others have. But here's the thing. God needs to be able to work in our hearts that even temperaments, mood swing. They can all be helped and brought under control. Aggression. Meekness and fear. That's not be afraid, by the way. That means you know you're before your father what you're saying and doing. That's what it means. Give an answer. Be defensive. It's not going to stick the chest out. That means have the apology. Well, here's how Christ saved me. Let me tell you about the blood. And if you know the scripture, then speak about it. Having a good conscience that whereas they may speak the evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you according to good conversation in Christ. See verse 16 where it says, good conversation in Christ, good lifestyle. That's your, your whole lifestyle. So next week, we're going to look at lifestyle in the gospel. Lifestyle. i seen a debate written online this morning. I don't do debates online. It's, you're trying to get one up man shop. It doesn't do any good. I don't get into them. i seen a debate online this morning. Someone put up, can a Christian drink alcohol? 
Anybody could drink alcohol, but should a Christian drink alcohol is another thing. Now, if you're asking me, should a Christian drink alcohol, you're asking me, here's my opinion. No. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> okay. Someone wrote, Jesus turned water into wine. Yep, he also walked on water, and I can't do that either. So a godly man in a worship team. And he loved the Lord and he went to a Christian's house who made his homemade wine and had it lined along the garage walls. Coaxed him into trying a glass of it. And he ended up a chronic alcoholic. Fell down the stairs and broke his neck and died. From a worship band to the bottom of the stairs with a broken neck. Tell me where the goodness is in that. This Christ is so good that you profess. Why do you need it? A guy came on to me this week professing he's a pastor. I'll not say where he is or where he's from. Belfast. (laughs) (laughs) And I had mentioned something. He came on to me and he says, and all he kept saying is if he was hyper-spirituality, as long as Christ is glorified. He didn't say anything else. As long as Christ is glorified. As long as Christ is glorified. As long as Christ is glorified. And I was going, Christ is always going to be glorified. So I just happened to see a wee picture of him. Standing in the bar with his Guinness in his hand. With the ungodly. And I went, I'm sure Christ isn't glorified there. I know. This goes out. I'll get it again. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I, I, you know me. I don't care. About it. I'll get it again. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You get the book by David Wilkerson, Sipping Saints. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. You know the only one it mocks? It mocks your defense of the gospel. It mocks your defense, your testimony of the gospel of the saving grace of Christ that mocks it. And it just breaks that union, as it were, not your salvation, your union between you and the anointing of the Spirit. So that's where I stand, if you want to know. In another establishment I pastored in, there was a worship leader, and I heard he was drinking alcohol. And I told you about other people and I heard they were having their, their little wine parties. Put a fellow off next door who was nearly getting saved. He seen them and said, what's the difference between me and them? And he just walked away. Now here's the thing. I made an announcement one Sunday morning. I said, see if you're a minister. I can't stop you drinking, but if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be drinking, in my opinion. You should not be drinking alcohol. But see, if you are ministering in this church and you're drinking alcohol, then stand down. Either stop it and move on with God or stand down. So this worship leader came to me at the door that Sunday morning and he says, I drink. I says, do you? He says, yeah. He says, do you want me to stand down? I says, no, I want you to stop drinking and worship God. Well, here's one, although no all aren't here this morning, you can let them know. See if you're ministering in this church, on this stage, 
or wherever with the kids, and you drink alcohol, either stop it or stand down. Either stop it or stand down. We want this church to be clean. The spirit will flow. Spirit will flow. Look at the time it is. You should have kept me here this time of the day. (laughs) 